some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple, and what you need to remember or to know about this temple was that this was the temple that was being rebuilt, King Herod, and it was um, extravagant. It was very ornate, very beautiful. Um, it was like one of the iconic pieces in the city. And so it was the, the center of their religion and just a very, very beautiful piece. And so the disciples were remarking as they were going by about how it was adorned and how and with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. And so it was, they were just saying this is an incredible piece of architecture. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Every one of them will be thrown down. A teacher, they asked, the disciples. And so there's concern amongst the disciples. When will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? Notice that there's no doubt in their mind that it's going to take place. It's just when and, and what is the sign about this is going to take. So he replied, so watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all of that will happen, they are going to seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to, to the synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. Now, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this, this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power, and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And then he told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the leaves. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words 
will never pass away. And I think in that particular part where it says, and that's been um, discussed and debated over and over, what is exactly does Jesus mean when it says this generation, this generation will certainly not pass away? And I think what's the most probable explanation, although we don't know for sure, is that when these things begin to happen, whenever they begin to be initiated and, and that end time stuff begins to happen, that it's that generation that will not pass or that will certainly not pass away until all these things have come to fruition. And so that's kind of maybe what the most probable explanation for that, just as a little side note. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives, and all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. There's a lot in that passage. And, and what Jesus is doing is he's telling his disciples before, um, before the Last Supper, before the week, before the cross, his burial and resurrection, He's telling them again, um, this is what you need to be watching for um, as, as I leave and before I come back. These is, this is what's going to happen. And so Jesus is teaching near the Mount of Olives, and he makes several points here um, that we want to highlight. Is that first, some events need to happen before Jesus is going to come back. And we see that there's going to be persecution of the disciples, and it's... And, and really what he wants us to see is that this is an opportunity for, for the disciples to testify to their relationship with Jesus and to testify about Jesus and, and all of that. And so there's the persecution of the disciples, um, false claims about the Messiah's coming. And so people will make false that either they are the Messiah or the Messiah has already come and all of that. Uh, there will be um, some political chaos going on. There will be some natural chaos going on in the world. And then Jerusalem and the temple will fall. And so regardless of how someone will view all of these events, needless to say, it's going to be a difficult time for the disciples. But understand that even though it's going to be a difficult time for the disciples, it's also going to be a time where um, Jesus is not going to leave the disciples alone, that he is going to be present through the Holy Spirit and been able to give guidance and strength when they are taken away and in front of the courts and being persecuted. And so he says there in that middle of the passage is that those who endure to the end and others remain faithful to Jesus will gain their deliverance. Also, he talks about the disciples and they need to watch and they need to live in such a way that they honor God in the meantime, since they don't know exactly when the end comes. And also, they're to live faithfully, they're to watch, and they're to be um, faithful prayer warriors until he comes back. A couple of phrases, and the first one is um, this whole idea of standing firm. We see that in, in a ton of passages in the New Testament. So it indicates endurance, it indicates steadfastness, 
or, or perseverance. And we saw that even in, in Luke chapter uh, 8, while we talked about that um, a year ago, uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 15, that he talks about perseverance, steadfastness as being a virtue um, in, in accordance with us abiding in him and bearing fruit. But that's going to be one of the things that is part of that fruit bearing is this perseverance, this steadfastness, um, this standing firm is going to be a part of our life. And so what he is saying to us is that we need to cling to life or we need to cling to faith in Jesus in the midst of persecution, in the midst of trials and those kind of things in our life. And so Jesus calls for you and I as disciples to live to, to live faithfully in this interim time, this time when Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again, ushered in the end times. So when that happened, the end times began. We're living in these end times. And, and we're waiting in this interim, we're waiting patiently for when Jesus will come back. And we see how in Luke chapter 8, verses 12 through 15, it talks about the parable of the soils, how we're, the word is going to go out, and some will land outside, some will land in the rocks, in the weeds, and it'll choke and all that. And, and some are going to not remain faithful. And then some of the seeds is going to land in the good soil, and that's where it's going to be nurtured. And they're going to grow, and they're going to be more like Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is warning you and I, he's warning the disciples, that for us to have this excessive concern or... Um, indulgence in what this life has to bring can, can lean us or to, to move us away from being faithful to him, being faithful to what he's called us to. Such distractions can, um, can weigh down our heart. And, and this um, weighing down of everything that we are worried about, everything that we have to do, everything that we need to, to make in order to live uh, in retirement and all of that, to take care of our kids, to take care of this, to take care of that, and anything else that comes into our way can, can start picking apart, can start leaching, can start leaking away this faithfulness that I have in Jesus. And it can weigh down our heart. And, and this load that's on our heart can eventually, if not taken care of, can, um, can snap and can lead us to not be aware, to lead us to, to not understand, to not be watchful. And when Jesus comes back, it's like a trap, right? That's what he says, snap, and we're not ready. And so we don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to be surprised. And so he says, I want you to stand firm. I want you to stand firm, and, and you will win life. And so as disciples, we should not be surprised when the world is in chaos. We should not, it should not take us by surprise when the world is in chaos. Jesus says, don't worry. No need to sound the alarm because these things must take place in order for before I come back, before I return. Paul expressed a very parallel concept in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25, where he speaks of creation and how creation is groaning 
and we see that today, right? How creation is growing until Jesus returns and that redemption is complete. And so we understand that sin will still be with us until Christ returns. And so that means that pain and persecution in this world will still be here and it should never surprise us. This is going to happen. This is part of our life. And so as disciples, we wait. We wait. And so while we wait, he says, I want you to stand firm. And this is where we recall me talking about sour cream and how I am standing firm in my stance against sour cream. Right? He's saying stand firm in your life in Christ. And so no matter what comes at you, you're going to stand firm in that. Listen to some of these verses in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. James 5, 8. You too, be patient and stand firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. Ephesians 6, verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. 2 Corinthians verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 21 and 24. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. And it is by faith that you stand firm. Galatians 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Philippians 4.1, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you, who, you whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. 2 Thessalonians, so then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we pass on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. 1 Corinthians 15.58, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Colossians 4.12, he is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. In 2 Timothy 2.19, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. Sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. And then Philippians 1.27. I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So do you get this recurring theme in the New Testament from Jesus to the apostles to the, to other, to the other writers that there is this thing that he wants you and I to do and it's this these two words it's it's standing firm it's persevering it's being steadfast and so Jesus is saying to you and I as disciples as adopted sons adopted daughters that this is what I want you to do I want you to stand firm well stand firm in what I think the first thing is to stand firm in our hearts Listen to um, Psalm chapter 119, verses 33 through 40. I'm going to read this from the message. I want you just to listen to the imagery that Eugene Peterson 
writes about these verses. God, teach me lessons for living so I can stay the course. Give me insights so I can do what, you're, what you tell me my whole life. One long, obedient response. Guide me down the road of your commandments. I love traveling this freeway. Give me a bent for your words of wisdom and not for piling up loot. Divert my eyes from toys and trinkets. Invigorate me on the pilgrim way. Affirm your promises to me, promises made to all who fear you. Deflect the harsh words of my critics, but what you say is always so good. See how hungry I am for your counsel. Preserve my life through your righteous ways. Satan knows that he can tempt us with toys and trinkets or loot, as Eugene Peterson talks about. The things of this world, that he can tempt us those things and it will then shift our focus from God, from Jesus in my life, being center, shift our focus from the kingdom of God to the kingdom of self. And this is what I want, the accumulation, the more, bring it to me. And my eyes begin shifted from, from God to now self. And I can begin to fall away. And the writer's talking about this battle, right? This battle that he's facing between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of self. And we see this battle going on um, in his writing. And so this, this writer was experiencing the battle within himself. And he wrote, right, turn my heart towards your, to, to your word, to your statutes, to the Bible, and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things, from toys and from trinkets. So divert my eyes, shift them towards you. The reality is, is that when we focus our hearts and our eyes towards God, when we focus our hearts and our eyes towards Jesus, the Holy Spirit in our life, when we begin to do that, when we begin to abide, when we begin to stay connected, this is what's going to happen. We're going to be able to stand firm in him. And so the writer in that passage again talks about that his word, his uh, the Bible, the words that he wrote, what we're going to find delight in them. And, and, and from that, we're going to experience perseverance. We're going to experience steadfast, steadfastness. We're going to be able to stand firm. And so our prayer for that, to stand firm in our heart, is that we, that we would find delight in his words, the capital W, that we would find delight in his words, that we would divert our eyes, we would turn our hearts from selfish gain and, and, and turn our eyes from these worthless things. The second thing to stand firm is in our hearts, but also um, in the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 17, great passage. But the end of that, again from the message, it says this. So friends, take a firm stand, feet on the ground and head high. Keep a tight grip on what you, have, what you were taught, whether in personal conversation or by our letter. May Jesus himself and God our Father who reached out in love and surprised you with gifts of unending help and confidence put a fresh heart in you, invigorate your work, enliven your speech. And so here Paul is urging his 
his readers, and really you and I, is to persevere and to stand firm, to hold to the, firmly to the truth of the gospel. I mean, Satan, again, wants to do battle with you, wants to do battle ever since the beginning of time from Adam and Eve. He has said, did God really say that? Can God really be trusted? Is God really good? Is God really great? Is God really glorious? Is God really gracious? Can he really forgive you for all those things that you have done in the past, that you're doing right now, that you will do in the future? I mean, is God really good? You've lost someone or something's happened to you. There's a physical disease or whatever it might be. Is God really good? And he puts doubt and he battles, right? There's this battle going on between the lies that Satan wants to tell you about God and the promises that are here in Scripture. And when we get to that point, we need to begin to, uh, as I'm thinking about this, begin to reduce it down again. And we, we have doubt, all right, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. And we go back to, again, the cross. And they go, all right, God gave his son, the one that he loved, loves, and brought him down to earth as a baby. Humiliation, right? Humbled himself. He lived an obedient life to the point of death on the cross. And this he said, because he was buried and he rose again, defeated death. This is how much I love you. And, and we know this to be a historical event that we can base all of that on because of the time between the oral tradition and the man, first manuscript that we see is very, very short. And we can trust that because we tend to trust everything else that was around there, right? All those other documents that have a longer time span between when it happened and when it was written down. We can trust that. And so because of that, this historical event of the resurrection, we can then go from there. If that is true, then what Jesus said is true, and we can just go from there. And that's how we begin to build our faith in him. And so there's this fight, right, to stand firm in the gospel when all these things come our way to, to keep a tight grip on the gospel, to keep, to keep a tight grip on what we know to be true about who God is, about what Jesus has done in our life, about who we are in him, and about what we're to do, and about the hope that we have in heaven. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Do not become easily unsettled or alarmed. Because that's exactly what Satan likes to do, is to be a deceiver and to trick you. The early church lived with this daily expectation of the second coming of Christ, that Jesus was going to return. And so they lived, because Jesus said, I'm going to come back. And so they lived their life with this expectation. It wasn't that far removed from what Jesus said to how they were going to live their life, right? And then obviously he hasn't come back yet. And so we should live that same way. I'm guessing there was this urgency in their life because there wasn't that much time between when Jesus left and when they thought he was going to come back. And it just, you know, time has kept going. And maybe that urgency has been lost along the way. Martin Luther said, I live as though Jesus Christ had been crucified yesterday, had risen this morning, 
and was coming again tomorrow. I mean, if we lived like that, what would our life look like daily? I'm guessing it might be a little different. And so what is true of them is really true of each one of us as well. I mean, the disciples. And this is a very encouraging verse. It says, they are loved by the Lord because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved by the sanctifying work of the spirit and through the belief in the truth. That's part of the gospel. That's part of the gospel message that Satan doesn't want you to believe that you are loved. And so we have a part to play in that. We're to stand firm and to hold to these promises and truths in his word. But the reason that we can be confident is not only the historical accuracy of the resurrection, but also because of the love of God, which is represented by that. And so then Paul writes at the end of that passage, he says this, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace give us eternal encouragement and good hope. I mean, that's just an incredible phrase to me, eternal encouragement and good hope. May that God, our Father, encourage your hearts this morning and strengthen you in every good deed, every good thing that you do, and every good word that you speak. May he encourage your hearts this morning. May he strengthen you in every good thing that you do because of him and every good word that you say because of him. God, I'm praying that you will feel his encouragement because God wants to encourage you so that why? So that not only can you be encouraged in your heart, but then you can encourage someone else. It's amazing to me of what a simple, even if I know they're doing this, what a simple word of encouragement will do in my heart. How my eyes will brighten, there'll be a smile on my face and I will um, look at life differently. If I'm constantly getting negative, 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 and pretty soon I'm not even going to know that I am negative there as well. But when I begin to get positive, encouraging words that even if I know that's what they're doing, it still um, is a bright spot in my day. And here we have Paul saying that God wants to do that for you. Eternal, for all time, encouragement and good hope to encourage your heart in him this morning. And so our prayer is for us to, um, to thank him that we are loved, to thank him that we are loved. It's a promise. And that in that, it helps us to stand firm, holding on to the truth of the gospel in spite of whatever else comes our way. So then we're standing firm in our hearts standing firm in the gospel and standing firm in a community. Um, turn to Romans chapter nine or Romans chapter twelve. And if you don't want to turn there, that's fine. I'm just going to read this to you. It's such a good. I'm doing a lot of reading from the message this morning. Hope you don't mind. But this is what he says. So here's what I want you to do. And this is God helping you take your everyday ordinary life. This is what we've been talking about ever since my wife and I came to Omaha, is it's moving from the Sunday-only compartmentalized Christian to now living for Jesus every day, Sunday to Sunday. 
every day. So take your, or, or your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of um, deep gratitude for all that God has given to me. So then go down to verse 4. In this way, we are like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole and not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, wouldn't we? would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellent formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help, don't take, cover, don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with a disadvantage, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. And so stand firm in our heart. Stand firm in the gospel. Stand firm in our community. We were not meant, and you know this, we've talked about this. We've talked about this a lot. We're not meant, right? I'm missing all my notes here. We're not meant, right, to do life alone. We're meant to do it together. And again, there's this battle that goes on with the gloves. There's this battle that goes on that says when stuff comes my way, what do I tend to do? I tend to run and I tend to isolate. And, and Jesus say, no, I, I've given you brothers and sisters who love me just like you love me. And I want you to live in community with them. I want you to stand firm in that. I want you to live life, live your ordinary life so that you don't develop blind spots and people can help you grow up into me. Realize that you're part of the body, that we can't do this without you in here. And we want you to exercise that gift that I've given to you the part that I'm asking you to play and exercise it faithfully, whatever that might be. And we need each other for support and, and all of that in order for us to stand firm. And then the last two things. So stand firm in our hearts, um, in the gospel, in the community. And then in that passage in Luke 21, um, Jesus is saying, stand firm and you will win life. But also, I want you to pay attention. I want you to pay attention. Keep your eyes up and pay attention to what is going around you, looking for my return. I'm focused on the fact that, um, that he's going to bring you and I to himself one day. So pay attention. So stand firm, pay attention, and the last thing is to pray. To keep um, praying for, for strength and praying... Um, that, that all these truths would stay and, and grab and, and stay a hold of your life. So stand firm, pay attention, 
and pray. That's what he asks us to do as we wait. As I was thinking about this, and I want Noah to come up. I'm going to have Noah come up. And Dad, why don't you come up too? Yeah. Dad's Noah's trainer. Put, put those on your, on your hands. Have your trainer help you. So I've got two boxing sets here. And... Um, Again, we're living this interim time where, where Jesus has um, said for us to wait, right? And that his kingdom has come, but yet it's not fully here. And, and we're living in, this in, in, in these end times, and we're waiting for him to return. And so he says, in that, be ready, stand firm. Sin is still present. Satan is still roaming. You guys doing good? Okay. Dad's training you? He's not into training? Okay. You keep training, Dennis. We'll go. And so what I have here is that there's two boxing sets. And I want you to imagine for a moment that, um, that this, this boxing set represents you. So we're going to draw an eye and a smiley face. I don't know if you can see it or not, but it's there. So that's you, all right? You good with that? Is that a good likeness? No. So the, the top represents you, and then we're tethered to whatever base we have at the bottom, right? And so it's either going to be a kingdom of self or a kingdom of God or a kingdom of God or a kingdom of self, whatever it might be, but there's a base that we're tethered to. And so um, we all stand on something. We all stand on something. And so one of these bases is, is, is like our kingdom of self, and one of them is like the kingdom of God or when we're in Christ. And so, Noah, I want you to, with your trainer, I want you just to take, and, and when, when we're living here, and this is what happens, is that life comes at us, right, and punches us around. And whether it might be, you know, a disease or someone passes away or whatever it might be is close to us or this, things happen, whether it's really severe or not severe, but things happen. So, Noah, go ahead and, and take a punch at that, that, that face. That's, you're, you're, you're just life, and you're going to hit that thing. <laughs> Don't think of it as Sam. Just, just more dad. Whatever. Just, just give me a punch. Just punch it. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Ah! Wow. No, there, there's nothing on. <laughs> <laughs> sure there is. So, wow. Good job. So something happened, right? Something punched us, and, and we, fell, we fell over. We fall, fell over. Yeah, we fell over. And so we're there. And so obviously, or not maybe not obviously, but this is the base of self. And when life comes at us, we don't know what to do with that. And so... We just go. And sometimes then we will come back up and we'll move on. And then life hits us again. Just hit again. And we go back down again, right? And this, we just keep repeating that process in our life. All right, come over here, my friend. 
Now, when we're based in Christ, when we are in Christ, when God is a part of our life, and I hope this works, um, my illustrations never do, but when we're in Christ and life hits us, um, what's going to happen? Go ahead. Oh, do it again. Yeah, I mean, right? So this is what happens when we're in Christ and we're asked to stand firm. We're tethered in Christ. Hit it again. And so we're going to do it in slow motion, okay? So in slow motion, hit it slow. So that's what happens, right? When we're in Christ, slow motion, we're this way, and we've not fallen over, but we're here. We've been knocked down. Sometimes we'll go, well, this isn't fair. Sometimes we'll have doubts, just like Peter. Sometimes we'll be mad. Sometimes we'll argue with God and all of that, and that's all part of this right here. But eventually, we are going to bounce back, and we're still tethered in Christ. We're still standing firm in Christ. Judas was over there. Peter was here. And this is where God wants you to be right here. He wants you to be tethered in Christ, the base of faith in him and all of the promises. This is God. He's good. He's gracious. He's glorious. He's um, all of these things in your life. You're an adopted son. You're an adopted daughter. All these promises are right there. This is the base that you have, the faith, the historicity of the, of the resurrection and all of that. And when life comes at you, hit it again. We're just going to bounce right back. Because we're tethered, we're in Christ. And come over here, Dennis. Again, so we're standing firm in our hearts. We're standing firm um, in the gospel, and we're standing firm in community. Just like a boxer, right? A boxer has his trainer. A boxer is going to have someone that's going to deal with the medical. A boxer is going to have someone that is going to do all his promotions. What else does a boxer have? People that like him, social media, whatever, right? He's got a community around him. And he's going to help him or her do his boxing, right? I don't know if that's lame or not, but I thought it was kind of clever. So give it up for Noah. Give it up for Dennis. You can take that home with you. You can take that one right there. <laughs> that's awesome. That's where my mind goes during the week when I think about this passage. It has helped me. I don't know if it's helped you or not, but this is what it means, I believe, to stand firm, to be steadfast, to persevere. I look at this and I go, all those things that have happened in my life, when I'm in Christ, when I've got that foundation, it's not going to derail me. It, I may be over here for a while, but eventually... I'm going to come back to here. And then something else is going to happen. And I might bounce back quicker or whatever it might be. But it's not going to take me all the way over without any hope in heaven. And so before Jesus gets arrested, before he gets beaten, before he gets mocked, before they nail the nails in his hands, before he is lifted up on the cross, before he dies, before he's buried and before he defeats death and rises again, he's telling his disciples, this is what I want you to do. Pay attention. Stand firm in your heart. Stand firm in the gospel. 
Stand firm in a community. You're not meant to do this alone. To pay attention, 